Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two of the All About Everest podcast. And I'm your host, Pauline Reynolds Nuttall. On this podcast, you can get anything and everything about Mount Everest, including interviews, book recommendations, tips, updates, and a whole lot more. So welcome to the spring 2023 Everest climbing season. And here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast episode, which is an interview with Rebecca Long. Rebecca is an American mountaineer from Boston, Massachusetts, and it's kind of a funny story how we connected. She had sent an email, well, her sister (laughs) had sent an email to Alan Arnett, and he actually connected between me and Rebecca. Thank you again, Alan, for the introduction. I had such a good time interviewing Rebecca. She was on Mount Everest this spring season, and she did achieve a summit. What's kind of different about her Everest story is that she lost a teammate, and she gets into that a little bit. As we all know, death and loss is part of the Everest experience, unfortunately, and we talk a little bit about how it impacted her personally, but also how it impacted her team. I don't really have any housekeeping stuff that I need to address, just a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. The first one was congratulations to Kristen Harilla and Tenjin Sherpa. And I know that I am mispronouncing her name. I just cannot pronounce it. They have summited all of the 14 8,000ers in 92 days, breaking the record previously set by Nims Day. So it doesn't matter what people think or what they're saying or anything like that. This is a huge achievement and we need to be able to recognize that. So again, congratulations to Kristen and Tenjin. This is amazing, amazing, amazing accomplishment. The second thing I wanted to mention, I don't think you guys notice when my little boy is in here. A lot of the time during my interviews that I do or while I'm recording, he's quietly sitting in the corner. And last week when I was interviewing Alan Arnett, he very quietly listened. And today he's like, can we listen to the dude? And I was like, what dude? The guy, the guy that you talk to, that you listen to when you're doing dishes. And so we listened to Alan today. So I want to express my gratitude to all of those that I have interviewed so far because you guys have been inspiring people out there. And for sure, I know that you are inspiring my little boy. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And last but not least, quick shout out to my mom. I know that she doesn't realize that I'm the one who does the podcast, but
but she listens to it every week. And so if that's the only way that I have left to connect with her, then I'll keep doing it. So this is a shout out to her. I have no idea who's going to be on the podcast next week. Because as I was saying to Rebecca today, people are always on adventures. You never know where they're going to be, especially mountaineers, because tomorrow they could be available. And next week, there's some on mountains somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And so it's really hard to catch someone in between expeditions. I am getting ready for a camping trip in Oregon. We're going to Bend, not to explore. We're going to my sister's wedding. And of course, you know, if you go to Bend, you have to go camping. One of the things that has been extremely helpful is all of the gear that I have gotten in the last couple of months in my Nomadic subscription box. It starts at $29.99. And one of the best things about it is all of the gear that's in there. So as I was going through everything, Almost all of the stuff that I have for me and the kids is stuff that we have gotten through our nomadic boxes. I've been a subscriber since 2018, and I'm talking headlamps, camping pillows, water bottles, coffee, granola bars, all of the stuff I've gotten for my nomadic boxes. And as a thank you, our readers, if you use the code EVEREST, get 10% off any of their orders. You can also find the link in the show description. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, today is an interview with Rebecca Long. She's 29 years old from Boston, Massachusetts, and she is just such a sweetheart. We talk about some of the hard things when it comes to mountaineering, including losing a teammate And who knows, maybe she and I will go on a climb together. I really am contemplating seriously going to Kilimanjaro next year. I'm 99.9% sure that I've been convinced. And she might just go with me. Anybody else want to go? Just let me know. Out of Rebecca's entire interview, the last five minutes when she talks about what she learned being on Mount Everest, that touched me. What she said, that needs to be something on a t-shirt and needs to be a slogan on a sticker, on a water bottle. Very thought-provoking, yet simple at the same time. So I hope you listen all the way to the end. And here we go for the interview with Rebecca Long. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome Rebecca Long to the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Pauline. I love your podcast. It's such an honor to be invited on here. I'm just glad that you had the time to meet up with us. So you climbed this year on Mount Everest. Let's go back a little bit to what got you started into climbing mountains. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I've loved, um, I've loved getting outside. I've loved hiking. Um, and I really love staying active. So I discovered mountaineering, um, just a couple of years ago and I feel like it 
marries those two things really well, like staying active sports and also hiking. So, um, and as a naturally competitive person, I kind of just hooked onto it. So I first started on Mount Rainier in Washington. I fell in love with that. I loved everything about it. Like the people that I would meet, um, just the skill set that you needed to be able to climb. Um, just watching the sunrise around you as you're summiting is just one of the most most powerful things that I've ever experienced. So instantly I was hooked. I did um, Cotopaxi in Ecuador and then Aconcagua in Argentina and then made the big decision to climb Everest. And you come from an area that doesn't really have mountains, does it? Well, um, our mountains are really nothing compared to you know, the Great West or the Himalayas, obviously, but we have, um, you know, we have New England has uh, the White Mountains, so Mount Washington, and then up in Maine, we have Katahdin, so we have some decent mountains, but um, yeah, you're right, nothing really enormous. And why did you decide to do Everest this year in 2023? So uh, a couple different reasons. So since I just started mountaineering a couple of years ago, um, Everest has always kind of been in the back of my mind as a really cool goal that I love to do. And then um, the pandemic just reminded me, you know, life is short and you want to try to chase your passions, um, chase your dreams as soon as possible. You never know when it's all going to end. And that's kind of a morbid take, but um, it was just kind of a wake up call and made me want to pursue something like Everest earlier. So 2023, especially after completing Aconcagua in January of that year, um, it just seemed like the natural next step for me. And um, what were you doing before you decided to climb Mount Everest? What was your day job? <laughs> um, so I worked at um, a large corporate bank, um, actually, and a derivative service. So basically I was um, helping with like trading derivative products. Um, so yeah, I had to leave that job in order to do Everest because unfortunately they wouldn't let me take leave that long. And that that's a very, you know, everyone who climbs Mount Everest, there's, it's so interesting, all of the different backgrounds that everybody has, you know, finance or doctors or food service, post office, just about everything. And so um, which company did you choose to climb with this year? Uh, I climbed with IMG. Okay. And how big was your team? Uh, there was only five Everest climbers when we started. Okay. And um, tell us a little bit about your journey from Kathmandu to base camp. Yeah, sure. So um, we just spent a few days in Kathmandu um, having an orientation, you know, going through our, um, our gear, meeting each other. And then, um, and then we took a helicopter flight to, um, sorry, to Palukla Airport. Um, and then from there, we started our trek to Everest Base Camp, which took about 10 days or so. So we were stopping in um, small villages along the way, staying at tea houses. So you guys did this standard acclimatization. You didn't do the whole 
thing in tents and just helicopter in. You guys actually did it old school. Yeah, that's right. Um, which I appreciated because I think um, a lot of us would have had many high altitude symptoms if we just went straight to the camp. I know some people do that, but that's pretty crazy to me, especially coming from, you know, the lowly New England area that I'm from. So it was nice to gradually work my way up to those higher elevations. And as a team, did you guys get really close um, on your trek to base camp and also during your rotations? Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, we definitely got to know each other more. I'd also add that, um, I, I don't know, an Everest climb attracts a certain kind of intensity in the clientele. So sometimes it wasn't the easiest, you know, trying to bond with people. But um, yeah, I definitely got to know people and there's some very interesting, smart people on the team. But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. And how did you first feel when you went through the Kumbu Icefall? Um, just really scared to death. Like I know we were, um, we were, we were, you know, told that it was going to be scary and dangerous, but nothing can prepare you for plotting out into the pitch dark, into this like icy nightmare. I, it was like, it was really cool and fun in a way, but also very scary. Just knowing how dangerous this place is and just seeing these like giant ice sculptures in the dark, just when your headlight catches onto it and just being totally humbled and scared being, you know, and doing all this at this high elevation where you take a couple steps and you're out of breath, especially in the beginning of your acclimatization routine. Um, it was all very scary and humbling. Those are the two words I could use to describe it. But, you know, as we went through our cycles, I got gradually less, less bad, more competent going through the ice fall, being able to, um, you know, like belay easily and ascend up and all that. So it was slightly less jarring as I went along. And how many rotations did you guys do through the ice fall and um, up to the lower camp? Um, so we did, you could say three rotations because our first was um, just through the ice fall and then back. And then the second was up to camp one and then touching camp two and then back to base camp. And then the third, um, staying in camp two a couple nights. We were supposed to go up to camp three, but there was just horrendous weather. So we, we had to turn back. And then finally, you know, our summit push where we would hopefully make it to the top. And I heard that it was extremely cold. There were a couple of nights that it was just unusually cold even for Everest at that time of year. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even at base camp, it was just constantly cold. Like you would look for those rare days when it was above like 40 degrees when the sun was out to do your laundry or take a shower or something. Um, and as you went up the mountain, it just got worse and worse. So camp one and camp two and higher, uh, it was just brutally cold. So you were always like swaddled up, especially at night. And yeah, you didn't want to venture outside uncovered for long, obviously. Uh, how did you feel when you, uh, when they told you that that was the day and you were going to head up for your summit push? Um, what you mean, like the, the day that we would start from base camp or like from camp four? Yeah. 
with like the day that you knew oh the day that you knew that you were going to head for the summit I know it's a little bit of a process but how were you feeling when you knew that you know you were getting close to the end of this whole journey okay um I mean relieved like at that point I was exhausted you know after already um, making the the final climb up to camp four, it was, you know, a brutal push. And um, yeah, I was exhausted, but really excited to finally get it done and go up there. So yeah, it was just like, you know, years of culmination, years of effort culminating, like in this final push, I just was excited to get it done. And um, did you have any scary moments while you were um, climbing Mount Everest? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely um, like in different ways. Um, like the first time I went through the ice fall, that was just nonstop scary. But there was some moments, um, you know, when I was getting ready for my first um, ascension up a certain part and it was just already kind of crowded. Like there was another team right in front of us and there was someone that was having some trouble climbing up and his crampons were just like, he was like kicking madly and his crampons just almost like cut me in the face. So that was one of the scariest moments on Everest, <laughs> something I never expected that would happen. Um, and then, you know, there would be the odd avalanche or Serac fall that you would hear from far away when the guides and the Sherpas would all freeze and you'd be like, should we run? Like what's happening? And then they'd be like, okay, we're all good. <laughs> But moments like that, um, yeah, probably many more that I'm not thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, people forget um, to hook onto the line or, you know, they don't take care of their crampons or things like that. And, you know, it if you don't know what you're doing or even when you do, and you're telling me right now that you almost got hit in the face with someone's crampon, you know, that's, that's scary. <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. very often, but I can only imagine, I would not want that to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wasn't expecting it. So, um, you're, we, we had talked, I had talked to someone else who'd been up there this year that had lost a teammate. And I understand that one of your teammates had passed away, which made your, your whole experience very different and harder in a way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, there was a member of our team whose name was Jonathan, um, he was awesome from the start. Like, I really liked this guy. He was a little bit older, but had a lot of wisdom, um, a very experienced climber. Um, in the beginning, we were doing a lot of our hikes, our approach hikes together. There was one moment that I remember, it was like a very difficult section of this hike. Um, and he probably saw that I was struggling a bit. So he offered me one of his AirPods and uh, we each listened to like some inspirational gospel music as we made our way up. And it was kind of like, um, I don't know, we didn't talk much, but it was just like a really powerful moment of camaraderie and just like a really sweet thing for him to do that he didn't have to do. Um, and he was just within our small group of five. He was like constantly a voice of, um, you know, kind of moderation, like calming people down. There was a lot of really passionate 
um, like passionate voices in our group, but he was kind of always there moderating and keeping everything cool. So um, he passed away suddenly on one, on one of our um, acclimatization rotations. And it was just a terrible shock to everyone since he was such a healthy and skilled climber and actually a doctor too. So yeah, that was just terrible. And then, you know, on a selfish personal level, I, it was devastating to me too, because it totally changed. Not, not only did I really miss him like as a, as a friend and as a teammate, but it just changed the team dynamic and it made it um, much more like caustic and much more um, just aggressive. So yeah, like losing him was traumatic and really like sad. And I feel for his family because he was an amazing person. And yeah, I mean, he was doing something that he loved. It doesn't make it any less terrible, but that's something that you could say. And, and that is one of the actualities of climbing in the Himalaya, climbing Mount Everest and all of these other um, 8,000 meter peaks is that, you know, death can happen, but it should never be minimized. Um, what did your family think? I mean, what were their concerns when you told them, hey, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest? Um, well, just shock and denial at first, you know, just um just you know anxiety about their daughter and really being like maybe you should spend a few more years getting ready uh, we love you it's like a dangerous mountain please don't do this and then after figuring out that i wasn't going to back down just um acceptance and then um just pumping me up be, being really excited for me like they've thrown me a pre-everest party with like a lot of close family friends and family um, and they just threw me a post Everest party too. So they're, they're kind of, they've totally accepted this mountaineering venture of mine. Um, but yeah, it was definitely hard at first to really get them on board. But once they were, they were all in and just super encouraging, you know, always there with advice and encouragement throughout the time I was on the mountain. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and I'm going to circle back a little bit. With your teammates' death, did it um, kind of make everything a little bit more real and even harder because you knew that this could happen, that death does happen? It's right in front of your face now? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, there's no way to, there's no way to ignore it anyway. Not that I was doing that before, but, you know, when it's something so close to home, so personal. Um, it's just right there all of a sudden. And, you know, you're suddenly at a, um, you're, you're just at like a turning point where you have to decide, is this worth going on? Because obviously there's a risk for anyone if he was such a, a healthy, um, experienced climber and he passed away like that, it could happen to me. Um, and it even sent one of our teammates home who got, who was so freaked out about, you know, it happening and didn't want to like, that to happen to him so um and I even had that moment where I was deciding whether this would be worth it for me to continue but you know I decided would Jonathan want me to to give this up and head back or would he want me to continue and so in a way it almost gave me um like more of a motive to reach the summit in his honor and that is a decision that a lot of climbers make and have made in the past that they 
have decided, you know, to abandon their climb and maybe come back in a couple of years when they lose a teammate or they make the decision like you did to follow through and do it anyway in memory of their teammate. Um, it's a very common, you know, decision when the situation happens. Yeah, that makes sense. So would you do it again? Everest again? Yep. Um, not for a while, I don't think. I got my um, my Everest fill for at least a couple of years. Um, it was um, like a very powerful experience, life-changing, absolutely. But um, I don't know if I would do it again unless like I had a real purpose. Maybe I was doing it with someone or, I don't know, doing it in honor of someone else. Um, but at this point, I'm all Everested out. <laughs> and are you going to continue mountaineering do you have any uh projects that you have planned or are you just kind of done in general for right now um yeah I would definitely like to continue with mountaineering I've um I would like to do the seven summits maybe over a couple of years nothing too crazy but um you know peaks like Vincent and Denali are really attractive to me uh I know Denali isn't easy so I'd have to practice pulling a sled or something. Um, maybe car stems in Papua New Guinea once it opens up. Um, Killy, I know you're doing Killy too. So maybe we'll see. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've been convinced, I guess. So uh, I'm yeah, hoping well, yeah. to do it next year. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, but- I gotta... uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I've, I've been convinced to do Killy. I mean, people keep suggesting it to me. So apparently I've been roped in. So I'm hoping to do it next year. Maybe, get a, maybe get a group of uh, all of the people that I've talked to on the podcast and we'll all do it together. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, please do that. I'll, I'll definitely go if you do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan then. I'll, I'll let my friends know. Um, that would be fun. Cool. Last but not least, what is the biggest lesson that you learned from climbing Mount Everest this year? The biggest lesson that you learned? Um, I'd say um, just Maybe this wasn't the absolute biggest, but this one sticks with me. Um, so the summit is just the halfway point. So instead of like giving all that you can, you know, just to get to the summit, remember that you have basically like another half to go. So just kind of be reasonable and don't push yourself all the way just to get to the summit because I wasn't in any dangerous position, but um, on the way down, I feel like I was suffering, just, um, you know, just so tired and all these injuries were just like creeping their way out that I'd somehow soldiered through my way up just to get to that summit. But um, yeah, coming down, that's like when most accidents and most deaths actually happen because people let their guard down or they just don't um, budget enough energy or supplies to get down. So um, yeah, I think that's just generally an important thing to remember and just keep telling yourself you know have to get all the way back down so just conserve your energy as much as possible I think that's something that not a lot of people think about and I think that's a good lesson hey thank you so much for joining us Rebecca and hopefully we'll talk to you again if you 
continue in mountaineering. Yeah, thank you so much again, Pauline, for having me on. This has been awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Rebecca. Short and sweet and to the point. She's such an amazing person and you can really see her resilience, especially when we're talking about the loss of her teammate, Jonathan Sugarman, and how it affected her. Most times, a lot of climbers that have lost a teammate, they don't like to open up about it. And she was very real. No one talks about that decision of, do we continue or do we go home after the loss of a teammate? And I'm glad that she talked us through her decision. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was interviewing her is she has this moxie and resilience. And it reminded me of how the Boston community stuck together and helped each other heal after the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. And you can see the resilience of those people like come through as Rebecca's talking. She's just such a sweet person. And I hope I get to talk to her again. Fun fact about her, she is also a twin. And she's actually 29. It seems that a lot of the media outlets have been reporting that she was 28. And she was very quick to correct me. Um, she was such a sweetheart. I have a sister and an aunt that I'm really close to named Rebecca. So this made the interview extra special. And that's all I have for today, guys. Uh, I can't wait until next week. Who knows who we'll have on the podcast. And until next time, climb your own climb. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the All About Everest podcast. We would love it if you would rate, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on social media at All About Everest podcast or at Mama Bear Outdoors. You can support our podcast by subscribing to our Patreon or by buying us a coffee. Until next time.